Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. I'm going to let my fabulous guest introduce herself to you all. So Janet, over to you. Please do introduce your fabulous self to my awesome listeners. Hello, awesome listeners. Well, my name's Janet Afere. I'm an expert in sales and in particular closing. And I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I don't know. How long have we known each other? About 18 months, two years? Well, virtually, yeah. We, yeah, it feels like I think we met during lockdown, like so many people do, virtually. <laughs> I think we did through a mutual contact of mine. In fact, if you actually go onto social media and look for myself or Janet and the photographs that we use the professional photographs not me with my swimming goggles on or anything like that <laughs> they have been taken by the wonderful Suzanne Fells and that is how we got to meet via the powers of LinkedIn which is again where you'll find both of us yeah Janet's got an inspiring story and I think you know I just love that about all of my guests all of my guests bring something that will resonate with the listeners you know they're not on their own they can gain sort of strength from listening to people's stories and let's face it Janet your story oh I've gone all tingly your story <laughs> is <laughs> it's is, is pretty powerful so do you would you like to sort of expand and sort of yeah, oh, I've sure got, I have I've got the I've got the goosebumps all up and down the oh, legs <laughs> yeah, I you're, know. you're an easy win Sarah crikey <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, okay, thank you. Well, to to give a bit of context, I currently work as a sales trainer and coach. I've been doing it since about 2013. Very lucky, you know, business is going well, love what I do, and that's all really super. It didn't start off like that. So in 2013, I was working with my late husband. We had two private colleges in East London. It was going really well. We had 35 staff, around about 650 students and a a massive building next to Stepney Green Tube. But most of our students were foreign students from overseas. And at the time, there was a system called Tier 4, which was the type of visa they needed to get into the UK. And the government... It was a bit of a political hot potato. Uh, The perception was all foreign students were coming here to scrounge off Britain and to take our money and our jobs. And actually, most foreign students go straight back home once they've finished. However, we were caught in the middle of (laughs) this thing. And one day, the government took licenses away from 500 colleges just like that. No notice. Oh, my God. Yeah, literally overnight. So you can imagine on that amount of students, I remember it really clearly, it was April. With 650 students in April of that year, we only took £100. Yeah, So we got like 35 staff, this big building to pay for, everything. That was kind of where it all started to go wrong. The short version is we had to close the college. We had to lay off the staff. My husband was from Nigeria, so he decided to go to Nigeria and see if he could sort of revive some business interest there. So I was left on my own, laying off the staff, handling bailiffs. Oh my gosh, Janet. I have hidden under a desk to avoid a bailiff. I'm not... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of awful. I don't mind mentioning it now, but yeah, I did that. But I also had two small children. They were primary school age. At the time, we had our family home. We had three rental properties. We lost everything so no business Uh, I was homeless fortunately the house was in my husband's name Uh, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to get any help finding somewhere else Uh, so for a couple of days I was literally homeless fortunately we found somewhere that wasn't the end of it 
what also happened was my husband had debts. People came after him. They couldn't get hold of him because he was in Nigeria. So they came after me. So I had to go bankrupt. Oh, and... crikey. I mean, I knew part of the story, but I've not, <laughs> I've not had the full welly. Oh, Good yeah, Lord. Let's, let's lay it on thick. I just set up my fledgling company, Tadpole Training. And then because I had to go bankrupt, I could no longer be a director of that company. So I had to go self-employed instead. But this was my situation. No money, no husband. No home. Um, two kids who needed chauffeuring backwards and forwards to primary school. And I didn't want them to sort of know the full impact of what was happening. So what I did was I couldn't afford internet at home. So I used to drop the children off at school every day. And then I used to drive to McDonald's. Don't judge me, people. But I used to drive to McDonald's with my lunch and my tattoo black <laughs> And they let me. Oh, really? Uh, shout out to McDonald's on the A10 in Enfield. Um, now, I used to sit in the same little corner all day. And, you know, I spoke to the staff and said, look, would you mind if I had my food? And they said, well, don't be obvious about it. But, yeah, that's fine. So for three months, I sat in McDonald's and I launched my business. Wow. And I always knew I could. I'd run a business before. That wasn't a problem. But it's really hard when you've got no money. And when I say no money, you know, you hear people mm. going, you know, I only got a couple of thousand. I launched my business with 44 quid. I think 599 was buying the domain name Tadpole Training and the other money I spent getting my logo professionally designed because that was really important because everything sort of went on the back of that. So, yeah, that's how I started my business in, in McDonald's on the A10 in Enfield. Some of you may know it. That all sounds really grim, but I knew what I was doing. I knew that a lot of people are scared of sales, and I knew that it was a skill I could teach, because I've been in training with the college for 17 years. I did seven years at Xerox, which is like world-class sales training. Anyone will tell you that. I had it all in my head, so I launched my company. And I think my <laughs> right, this this will get you. I charge a lot more than this now. My very first course was presentation skills. I got three people on it. They paid a tenner each. In fact, one of them didn't pay. But <laughs> I, I got I got testimonials. I got three video testimonials on the back of that. And then I sort of knew, I knew I'd begun. And then it starts to get better. Janet, can I just ask you something before you do this? Because obviously you referenced your husband being in Nigeria at the time. Was he still in Nigeria at this point? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the hardest thing. You know, any of you out there who are single parents, that is the hardest thing. I mean, I was exhausted. You'll relate to this if it's happened to you. You're, you're just juggling all these balls. You don't want the children to know how stressful it is. But you've still got to go to school every day, still got to pick them up every day. And at that age, they're really demanding, and that's fine. You did have two of them as well. I had two, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to wrap it up and make it sound like it was something it wasn't. It was awful. It was a really, really tough time. It was nasty. Unless you've been, I mean, I had to use food banks. There's one Christmas, I don't know what we'd have eaten if I hadn't had access to a food bank. I can remember one day I ran out of petrol and. I didn't have any money to put petrol in the car for two days. So it was like wonky across the road for two days. I couldn't do anything about it. I had to borrow from my neighbour to put money in the meter. I am not going to make this sound glamorous. It was nasty. What kept you going through that time? I had a vision of what my life would be and it was at a fork. I don't know if you ever had those significant moments. On one side of the fork was you are going to be on benefits in some sink housing estate surrounded by drug dealers for the rest of your life and on the other side of the fork was you're not and it wasn't a choice it just wasn't a choice oh by the way I was really rubbish at claiming benefits the system's 
terrible because I, I didn't know what I was entitled to and I didn't know how to claim it. And I found that over a period of about a year or so while I was sorting myself out, there was so much I could have claimed that I didn't know about. So I don't think the system is very good either. Well, I think that's the thing is I think you need to know the system to be able to work the system. And if you don't know it, you, you, it's pants. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, can I, may I tell people about how it got better? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell people how it got better. I mean, obviously you had all that success. And what is really interesting is that it was completely out of your control, everything falling out, which is very, very similar to the situation we had two years ago with COVID. When you get to that point, there's nothing you can do. You have to accept that situation, don't you? Because you can't challenge it because they're too big That's to challenge. And believe me, it wasn't the way I thought my life was going to go. So that was a shock. Anyway, let's try and encourage people. In case any of you, in case any of you are weeping into your tea out there, I want to want to let you know it does get better. I did my first proper sales training, which was I did a course called I'm Not a Salesperson, which appealed to quite a lot of entrepreneurs because they're, they're good at what they do, but they can't sell. So I was sort of on my way. And I was, I was getting some traction. I was starting to build some customers. So I thought I'll enter Enfield's startup business of the year. I won it. Yay! I won Yay! It. And that was money, which meant a heck of a lot to me. So that was brilliant. Another one I'm really proud of too. I entered the Guardian's startup business of the year thinking, ah, well, you know, it's the Guardian. I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not going to tell you I won. Don't worry. I didn't win. But I got to the final. And I'm That's so awesome. That I got to the final. And you know how life's a bit random? I didn't even know I got to the final until I went on a social media course and they said every now and then you should Google yourself. So I Googled myself and The Guardian came up. I thought, what's all that about? And I'd missed the actual newspaper. I'd missed it by about five days. But that's how I found out I got to the final. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can still claim it, though. You can still claim it. I've got a screenshot of it. Yeah, so... Absolutely. So that was kind of the start. And I've always had a real kind of affinity with people who have really had to struggle because I think in our business world, you see a lot of people, don't you, going, oh, yeah, I've cracked it. I've done this. I've got amazing results. Oh, it's all wonderful. But they've had the most enormous advantages or they've had a leg up, or they've had someone to give them tons of money to get them going. I can remember I was at a talk when I was sort of in the middle of this really bad bit. So when I was still going to McDonald's to launch my business, and I went to a seminar and they had, one of their keynote speakers was a guy who runs a very well-known software company. I mean, no one like Enormous. Don't go thinking it was Bill Gates. It wasn't Bill Gates. But someone who's very successful. And he was explaining his startup journey. And I think there were about five of them. And he was going, you know, it was tough. It was tough. It got so bad at one point, I nearly missed a mortgage payment. And I just thought, you have no idea what my life's like. I'm in McDonald's, homeless, with two kids, going to food banks, not understanding how to claim benefits. You know, I'm, I'm not going to diss anyone. You know, I wish everybody well, but we, we don't see the real raw problems that people face. And also, this is important too, I was ashamed. I mean, I'm putting myself out there as a sales trainer, someone who can help grow your business. And I was a bankrupt. Now that mentally, that was quite, that, that was a big dilemma for me. Uh, and I can talk about it openly now, but you know, when it was all happening, I would not have told anyone because I was ashamed. But the interesting thing is that it was completely out of your control. I mean, and you can't be ashamed about something, you know, and so much has happened, you know, with COVID impacting particularly SMEs. You know, I'd say myself and my recruitment business, you know, involved, you know, because suddenly 
the business is just not there. It's like, <laughs> holy moly. I got really frustrated. In fact, I had a meeting with my accountant yesterday because I've got to pay money on account. Oh, there's just stuff to do with finance stuff. I don't even understand it. So I can't even try to explain it. But suffice to say, because I pay myself dividends, I've paid myself too many dividends despite taking a pay cut from the business. So then I have to pay money on some tax thing. So I've got to pay money out of the business on that. And even though this last year's made a profit, the year before didn't. And it's like, my business has always made a profit. You know, it's, I'm not something, I'm not in the millions, but, you know, I've always had profit. And then to have all of this happening and I've got this huge lump to pay back to the HMRC because it's a bounce back loan that I've got to pay every month, which impacts on the profit. <laughs> so it's just like, hello, was there any help? No, but there are people that took money. But you can't look at that, can you? You just have to deal with what you've got or use all your energy fighting it rather than actually which is what you did, because you could have gone into the whole benefit system, found out how it all worked, really worked. Because I bet if you'd have put your mind to it, you'd have found all this out. You'd have got some benefits, but then your energy wouldn't have gone into your business and you wouldn't have been growing your business and get, winning the awards. Well, also, I was grieving because I didn't realise that basically my husband kind of left me. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd lost all the things that are, are there in life. So I'd lost my plan for the future. I'd lost my home. I'd lost the investment properties. I'd lost my husband. Uh, yeah, everything had gone except the kids. I don't want to. Yeah, but I, I was grieving. So something I tell people, you know, a lot of time people are really guilty about decisions they made. I got tons wrong, Sarah. This is what I truly believe. No one goes out of their way to make bad decisions. You do the best you can at the time with what you got. And that's what I did the best I could with what I had. That's all we've got, really. You just do the best you can with what you've got. And that was my best. But you mentioned COVID and I, I want to sort of tie this in because when COVID started to happen, and do you remember we were all running out of toilet roll? Who knew that come the apocalypse, <laughs> we want to buy flipping toilet roll? I mean, that's not in any yes. action movies, is it? Crikey. But uh, Maybe it should be. <laughs> but you know those first few days when we'd just gone into lockdown and everyone was kind of doing a rabbit in the headlight or panicking? It was really interesting. I, I can remember it so clearly. It took me about 24 hours and I thought it's going to be okay because... This awful thing had happened to me before. I knew what to do. The media and social media and people, you know, they're panicking and worrying and doing daft things because of the uncertainty. Now, I'd had everything in my life ripped away from me. So I suddenly realised that I knew what to do. This was bad, but I knew what to do. And so I got up and running quite fast. And actually, 2020 was a really good year for me. One of the reasons it became good, I just sort of sensed what people were feeling. And I noticed that having, because I speak to a lot of people on the phone, I noticed that people have more time because maybe a conversation would have been two or three minutes. But once everyone went into lockdown or they were furloughed or they couldn't move and they, or they couldn't get to the office, people had time that they'd never had in a way before. So usually conversation would be two or three minutes suddenly people were spending half an hour on the phone with me and it was you know how is covid treating you and suddenly you've got a 20 minute conversation so i'd like to say it was really strategic and clever of me but what i realized was people needed other people to reach out have conversations because they were craving that human contact and like i say i'd like to pretend i was clever and strategic i i I observed and I, I reacted appropriately and then I was proactive. But ultimately, I ended up getting tons of business because I just spent 
hours and hours every day just having conversations with people and not trying to sell them stuff just going how are you how's covid treating you what's your story how are you feeling and as a result it's that human connection because that's what we didn't have isn't it so um I, I think it's really important in business to be adaptable but i also think it's so important to have that human connection ultimately yeah, my world sales sales yeah sure you can buy tons of stuff online but my goodness what you really want is someone who's interested in you can help you understands your pain and your struggles and, and the goals that you want to achieve and then helps you achieve all them so you know that, that that's my currency if you like it's it's dealing with people that's why I love working as a coach as well because you are you are having that communication when I go back to I first started working in recruitment in 1987 you know you that those are the sort of conversations you used to have with people that are in depth because nobody had a cv but over the years it's become fastest finger to a cv online get them over and it's just that's lost which is why i embrace and love working with my coaching clients because you are having that real one-to-one conversation you know you're getting to know them and what makes them tick and you you can read them you have that instinct with intuition and I'm a naturally curious person anyway you know I, I love talking asking questions and things pop into my head I'm very sort of instinctive and channel stuff and things come through and like you've done you sort of pivoted over the 24-hour period I mean I always refer to it as like holy moly bottle of wine no that's not the solution <laughs> Because that's what happened. <laughs> See, I can't even play my drink because I don't. So <laughs> it's cold hard thinking, Sarah. <laughs> Bit of cold hard thinking. No, and I pivoted and I just, I reframed it all and saw it as an advantage to stop doing the things that I'd been sort of chained to through my recruitment business, which enabled me then to revisit lots of stuff and connect, like you've said, and have conversations with people and provide that line of support because... Like you say, people were isolated and it's like, what What now? Everything stopped. So I sort of seized the moment and embraced it. And I was out every day running and doing lives on Facebook and things like that. But anyway, back to you. So that's what you did during COVID. And obviously you've been building your business up. But I think there's been, there have been a couple more, cha- there's, well, there's been another challenge along the way as well, I, I believe. Are you referring to the death of my husband? Yes. Yes. So he was in Nigeria for the, the majority of the time, but we, you know, we talked regularly, we got on regularly. And then four years ago, it was just over four years ago, my daughter's birthday is on the 12th of June and 13th of June, my niece, my nephew and my brother-in-law came round. So I thought it was to wish her happy birthday. And it was to tell me that my husband had died, just collapsed and died at work in Nigeria. If anyone is listening to this who met him, the man was so charismatic so full of energy so full of life it's like the biggest light in the world you can imagine being snuffed out and uh, yeah only 54 now I knew he had some health issues but on, on the face of it he didn't so a lot of people were ri- well I mean I was shocked absolutely but a lot of people were really shocked and we had to go to Nigeria for the funeral we decided he'd be buried out there and now look I'm a Brit so my idea of a funeral is you stand politely in church singing some hymns I know either the coffin gets cremated or they get buried and you stand neatly round the grave with like artificial grass and it's all very civilized and you chuck some dirt in ain't like that in Nigeria so we had to go to about three pre-funeral services at the actual funeral service there was 700 odd people 
there was I can only describe him as a sort of fire and brimstone type preacher but because he was kind of speaking pidgin English I couldn't really understand very much of it there were people wearing t-shirts with my husband's name on it that's that's a sort of whack in the face uh, there were protesters. Some people thought it was a conspiracy theory that he'd been murdered. Some people thought he wasn't dead at all. And his body is lying there. His body is lying there. The, yeah, oh, gosh. There, there was everything. Because um, I'm British, you know, I'm smiling and greeting the, the, the mourners. I got told off for being too smiley. Oh, oh no, so you should have been wailing. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that came. Yeah, don't worry, that was there. And then, like, the, I think probably the hardest thing was when we came to actually bury him. I couldn't get to the front. You know, I'm the chief mourner. There is kids. We couldn't get to the front. And there's all these people protesting in the background, making noise. Gosh. Anyway, we sort of pushed to the front. This huge Nigerian guy said, oh, what you doing? What you doing? And I oh, because uh, I was like the only white person there. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, madame. So then we got to the front. We had to kind of fight to get to the front. So, because this is about happiness. I, I've got to tell you something that's really funny too. So I had a slot where I meant to read a eulogy to him, a reading from the Bible, which is fine, but they didn't give it to me. And then they called me up. So I had to trot up to the front in front of 700 people, whisper to the guy running the ceremony, I haven't got the thing I'm meant to read. So I had to then go back and sit down again. They chucked a hymn in, gave me the piece of paper, and then I came back again. So it it was sort of um, a comedy of errors. But do you know what? I mean, it gave me huge respect for how they do things out there because although to my British brain it was just a sort of cacophony and, and like an assault on the senses. Yeah, but it, you know, it does get it out of your system. It's it's very it's very participative morning and you know we were exhausted after and you know what we did afterwards from nigeria you often fly via paris so i took the kids to disneyland for three days afterwards oh, as a wow. sort of antidote and that was lovely oh that's nice that's yeah, nice it was, it was good Gosh, you know, like those stone tumbler machines, Janet? That's what I'm thinking of now. It's like you kind of, the last few years, I mean, good grief, you've been in it, you've been out of it, you've been back in it again, and and you're out of it. And obviously we've had COVID, obviously that worked for you, but and you're you're pushing forward, but you've always turned up with a smile on your face, don't you? I mean, and I... I mean, for me, that's something that people have commented upon with me. And I'm going, well, do you want me to turn up and go, hello? So how do people get in touch with you, Janet, then? Really simple. The easiest way is on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, we can have a chat. It's been an absolute awesome pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening, of course. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review. Follow, subscribe, whatever you do on your platform. Because as you know, if you're a regular listener, we like to spread this happiness and this upbeat energy globally and uh, share inspiration and, you know, let people know they're not alone and they can be happy and they can turn their lives around, which is awesome. And this has been me, obviously, Sarah J Naylor. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well and on all the other social media platforms generally (laughs) or on my website, sarahjnaylor.com. Until next time, lots of love for me. Thank you to Janet and um, have a wonderful rest of the day. Whatever it is you're doing. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com.